Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Tom Butler. I'm Brendan Duffy. And I'm Tom Wheatley. And you're listening to the James Bond A to Z podcast. Join us on this journey of discovery across the world of the 007 movies as we take an encyclopedic look at cinema's greatest spy films. We'll learn about the people who made them in front of the camera and behind. From Ken Adam to Max Zorin, with occasional detour down a few rabbit holes, we'll sometimes be joined by guests with unique insight into the world of Bond. This podcast is in no way affiliated with the James Bond brand, Eon or the Fleming Estate. We do our best to make sure the information is accurate, but sometimes we do get it wrong. If you want to correct us on something or add some more detail, email us on podcast at jamesbond8z.co.uk. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. If you want to support the podcast, we have a coffee page at ko-fi.com forward slash jamesbond8z and you can find the link in the show notes. Hello and welcome to the James Bond A to Z podcast. My name is Tom Butler. I'm joined as always by my colleague, Mr. Brendan Duffy. And we've got a very special guest joining us to talk about his book about No Time to Die. It's Mr. Mark Salisbury. Hello. Thank you for having me. Now, Mark, your book is the making of the film, the official No Time to Die making of book. Well, it's, it's it must be quite an achievement to get that book out there when the film comes out and be the official history of the of the making of the film? Uh, yes, uh, and weirdly enough, it wasn't originally meant to be this book. So I, uh, I pitched the uh, Daniel Craig retrospective that's coming out in September, first of all, and that's the book I talked about. Uh, and then once they said yes to that, they then said, oh, would you fancy doing a, a making of this film as well? So I couldn't refuse. So take us back to the beginning then. So you said that you started by pitching... Yeah, so I, the, 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 the Craig retrospective. So I uh, I looked at the email today, uh, or the proposal I first wrote, and it was March 2018. Um, so I had done... Uh, I sort of worked with Ian in the past on another kind of book project. And uh, I know... Stephanie, who is the kind of head of publicity and marketing very well through my sort of film journalism when she was you know, head of press at Fox. Um, and so I just, uh, I think I just emailed her or called her and said, look, I'm interested in writing a book about Daniel. Um, so I had breakfast. I pitched her my idea. She liked it, took it to Barbara Michael. Um, and at that point, Eon had sort of severed their relationship with Doreen Kinsley previously published the bond box um so they said look we don't have a publisher but we really like the idea and i'd worked with titan a lot so i put titan and eon together they made uh, happy publishing babies and uh, and then i was sort of hired to write the craig book um and then at some point i can't remember when they said will you do the uh, the making of no time to die or b25 as it was called then, not Bond 25, because it didn't have a title until much later. 
Um, so that's how it happened. That's amazing. Did you get to work like straight away? Was it? Did, were you like involved with pre-production and stuff like that? No, well, so I'm I'm trying to remember the order of things because it is a long time ago. I think Danny might have been on board at that point, um, and I've known Danny for years and years and years, and have been on lots of his film sets. Um, so I was very excited that Danny was doing it. Um, and then obviously Danny left the project. Um, actually it's so long ago, I'm trying to remember the order. So no, I wasn't involved in pre-production, though I was sort of on board before they started shooting. Yeah. Um, but you know, a Bond movie is this huge kind of juggernaut really. And um, once it sort of starts rolling, you just have to kind of grab onto it at a certain point. Um, and, you know, as somebody who's writing the, the making of a book, um, you know, you're a small cog in the wheel. So they have the script to work out and the cast to do and the locations to sort out. And then at some point they kind of say, would you like to come on set? Um, so I, I went on set and I went on set quite a few times over many, many, many months. Um, so, yeah, so Danny was involved. He wasn't involved. They then had to get a new director. That took a, you know, a few months. Kerry came on board. Um, and I think that they did the launch in Jamaica. And then so they shot in Jamaica for a few weeks, at which point Daniel was injured. Um, and then they went to Norway and got all the sort of, you know, the pre-credit sequence out the way, or most of it, because they did some at Pinewood. Um, and then once they were back to Pinewood, then I kind of, you know, hopped along as often as I was allowed. Um, and then stayed on and on throughout the shoot. And then uh, I went to Matera for a week uh, to see them shoot some of that stuff. Um, and then was there the last week of filming when they sort of shot a lot of the kind of Cuban stuff. Uh, on the on the back lot, um, yeah. So probably over the course of about six eight months, I was sort of there on and off. Spent you know a week here, a few days there. Um, yeah, did, and did as many interviews as I could. But at the same time, I was doing the other book, so I was collecting interviews for that book as well as for this book. So, I mean, I don't know, you probably won't be able to tell as much, but did you get to learn much about what Danny Boyle's version of the film was like when at that stage in the production? Not at that stage. Uh, I did kind of gleam, um, you know, you talk to people and most of the production team stayed on. Um, so unofficially, <laughs> I found out um, quite a lot about the story itself. But obviously, I, I cannot share that. <laughs> I wish I could. <laughs> it, sounded, it sounded interesting, actually. Sorry, I was going to say, you know, they'd already built sets for, for Danny's film. Oh, really? Um, ah. Yeah, yeah. They'd, they'd, I think they'd built some, I can't really remember, some stuff in Canada. They were building stuff on the bomb stage. I know so they were quite a way down. Mark Tildesley had done an interview where he said that they were in Canada building some sort of rocket um, set when they got the call to say to down tools. Um, that, that's right. 
Um, so I think I think it went into space at some point. And although you're on the periphery of it, Mark, did you, um, when they do pull the plug at that stage, are you then just sort of frozen out of everything until you get the call to say, we're ready for you to come back now? Or are you sort of hearing things backwards and forwards? No, no. I mean, you know, I have other things that I need to do, other jobs. And so I just sort of part that. And at some point, you know, once they got a director, I would you know, be back in the loop as it were. So I just kind of waited and, uh, you know, talked to talk to them, found out what's going on, and eventually Kerry was hired, and uh, you know they had to ramp up and go pretty quickly because at that point they still had a release date. I mean, I think they pushed the release date a little bit when Danny left, but there was still one in stone, so they had to kind of <laughs> rush very fast in production. But you know, Kerry kept a lot of people on board. Mark stayed. Sutherat, uh, the costume designer, stayed. You know. It was pretty much, you know, they just carried on with it, really. So tell us about the first time you went to set then. Was that, did you get to go to Jamaica when they were shooting there? No, no, unfortunately, I didn't get to go. I was, I was, I was, uh, listen, I went to Matera for a week, so I can't complain too much, but it would have been nice to go there. I remember it was going to Pinewood and they had already started construction so i think they were building the cuba set at that point and there was quite a few sound stages were under construction and it was a close-up scene of rami malik with the mask on shooting at the ice and they had sort of mopped it up outside one of the sound stages at pinewood with a kind of blue screen in the background um so got to see him kind of fire his gun at fake ice. Um, that was the first thing I saw. I remember reading in your book that the some of the ice, that, that they actually imported it from Norway to Pinewood. That is correct. That is correct. Not for that particular scene. Uh, um, well, not for that sort of element of the, the scene. That was just sort of plastic, I think. The, the, the real ice, which Kerry insisted upon, was for when they shot uh, on the water tank. Um, and I think they were shooting underneath, looking up. Right. And he liked the way that the, the light worked with that particular thickness of, of ice um, and had insisted. And, you know, it turned out, you know, I thought it was, you know, filmmakers kind of folly, but actually it turned out to be much cheaper to import ice in a lorry from Norway than make it in the UK in such large sections. Wow. That's, uh, that's quite crazy. Um, when, you, when you're on set at that point, um, you're coming to set, are you then having to glean um, as much as you can about what the story of the film is or do you have access to a script so you know what, what you're going to be seeing when you're on set? Uh, so at that stage... I hadn't read the script, um, and I could be wrong, but I think they were still writing it when I first writing a version of it, or you know, the end or the beginning. You know, they're still working on it. Um, so it wasn't until a few months later that I did get to read the script. Um, but you know, you go on set enough, you talk to enough people, you work out what the story is. 
what did you um when you when you read that spoiler at, at the end what did you first think you know i think i knew it before i read it mm. um because it, it wasn't i'm trying to think like i said it's such a long time ago i i think i knew and i can't remember who told me or whether i was told officially or it was just you know people knew that it was going to happen not everybody uh, so I don't know how I necessarily knew. Maybe maybe I was told. Um, I thought it was um, a really bold, interesting, left-field idea. Um, and as it proved, you know, I remember going to see the premiere at the Albert Hall. And when he died, there was shock. People were you know, genuinely shocked in the audience. And you could feel the kind of, the ripples and then you know it's a rural premier and they, they ask everybody to stay in their seats but of course people left uh and there was probably either half stayed for the credits and then the credits rolled i don't know if you were there guys were there but the credits rolled and at the end it says james bond will turn and people cheered yeah um so i thought it was really really sort of bold and interesting and um very brave of them actually it's interesting. It's kind of left them in a, in a sort of quandary as to what to do next <laughs> as a result of it, which is why they're going to completely, as you know, Barbara said the other day, they're going to have to completely reinvent it, um, which is probably a good idea. Absolutely. And um, some of the, I feel like some of the some of the um, secrets did get leaked before the film was even finished. So, um... yeah, I mean, the idea that Nomi was going to be the new 007 uh, wasn't a secret to me, um, and I really think they they were trying to keep it a secret for the fans because you know the script and the film is designed so you think when they say 007's on the case, you cut to James Bond, yeah, and Daniel Craig, and uh, and it's not, um, and that did sort of slightly spoil it because you know the press, you know, listen, the tabloids love James Bond, so they were desperate for any kind of piece of information they could glean. Um, and this one was leaked. But I think, you know, Barbara and Michael for a long time didn't officially confirm that was the case. So it was a, like an open secret that everybody seemed to know. But, you know, she was one of the standouts of the film. Really. Yeah. Um, so take us back to set then. You've, you you, you say you went to Pima, but then you also got to go to Matera as well. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Pinewood. Pine was was really interesting. So I actually got to see a lot of the stuff yeah, being built and in completion. So that the Cuba set on the, the back lot was one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen. It was just so realistic. Um, you know, even when they were it was half built, you felt like you were in Havana. Uh Santiago de Cuba rather. Um but it was just an extraordinary set. Um, you know, I think all the kind of Poison Island sets were just vast and amazing to, to, to behold, really. I mean, you know, the bacteria farm that they built on the 007 stage was just mind-blowingly brilliant. Uh, and it was, you know, the walkways were there, the, the, the Valdo's lab was part of the, the whole set at the back of the 007 stage. Um, that I thought was extraordinary. Um, you know, the, the Hercules lab set, I was there just before it got blown up. That was amazing. Uh, you know, Q's house was great. 
Um, yeah, it, I mean, Mark Hillsley, I think, is a genius. And um, he, he, he did a phenomenal job. So every set was brilliant. Um, and they would manage to kind of knock up a set in a couple of days if they needed to do something. It was just the craftsmen are as good as they say they are. Um, I do, I, one thing I actually think was quite funny, and it was a, a sort of Easter egg, um, was I remember walking back from across from the back lot um, to another soundstage and the Aston Martin Vantage, you know, the kind of 70s one, uh, 70s, 80s one, kind of came around the corner and sort of drove in front of me. Uh, and I looked at it, it was like Daniel was driving it. Like, okay, that, that's going to be in the film then. That was <laughs> so that was a nice surprise. Um, so yeah, so the, the Pinewood was was just amazing, um, and uh, and then Matera was just otherworldly. And it, you know, you see what it's like in the film. It was just as beautiful in real life. I mean, they didn't. I mean, they they made it look amazing, but it was you know they had a perfect canvas, and then you know Lena's again i think is another genius the dp um made it look even more magical so yeah no it was great i mean it was you know kerry was you know welcoming i could sort of hang around as much as i wanted to do um you know quite a lot of time i spent literally sat next to him in front of the monitor so there would be him Linus, and myself um and he would be directing the movie. You'd get to see, you know, what's going on straight away. Um, yeah, and it was really nice. I remember, I remember at one point when I was I was late to the Havana set, and Kerry kind of looked at me and said, "We here earlier when we shot the um, the gun barrel scene," and I was like, "No, nobody told me I should be there that that early." And he had it on his phone, so he kind of showed it to me on his phone. So it's a shot in the movie where Daniel turns to the camera. Um, so yeah, he was. They were very welcoming. And, uh, and let me just kind of hang around and stand in the corner and put my notebook and just kind of scribble down as many details as I could, really. Did, nice. It's always nice to be so involved. Yeah. Did you have like a, a set schedule or were you just, it was, you could do what you want? Was it, was it that, did you have that freedom? No, no. I mean, yeah, they, like I said, it's, there are lots of moving parts mm. and, you know, other journalists have to come on set and there was, some stuff they just didn't want you to see or some stuff the set was too small. Um, so, you know, the, the publicity team, the unit publicist, Claudia, uh, you know, they were we, were, we were in touch on a sort of daily basis. Like, what's, what are you shooting next week? What's work, you know, what's a good set to come and see? So often I would come just to interview somebody um, like Chris Colbert, for example, or the second unit director he would be available on a certain day. So you'd go to Pinewood to do the interview and then you'd just kind of hang around and see what else was being shot that day. So, um, you know, it would be lovely to have been there every single day. Um, and in my in my sort of wildest dreams, I've always wanted to write one of those making of books where, you know, they used to do in the 70s, like the guy who wrote the, the making of Raid of the Lost Ark was there. I think he was the publicist, so he was there every day. I always wanted to do one of those books. Um, just not possible so i was there quite a lot um you know I, I you know i went out to there's a sequence that i saw on the top, top gear test track this massive 
humongous second unit stunt sequence that they shot, um, and it's not even in the film. Oh wow! So I got to see a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it comes at the sort of end of the Cuba section and before the trawler. Um, so it was a quite an elaborate sequence, and didn't see it finished, but it looked pretty spectacular. But you know, probably you know, the long the film's long enough as it is, and you know they they decided it wasn't necessary, and maybe it wasn't, but it was just a cool stunt. So you know, I got to see stuff that didn't make the film, um, and a lot of stuff that did. It's always great to watch the movie and go, I was there, I was there, <laughs> I was there, taking the I was just standing by Craig there. So yeah, so I mean, I saw a lot. Like I said, a lot of the uh, lost in the terror stuff. I got to see Donut Square. Where you know it spins around, and you know, I was hiding in one of those buildings for uh, a couple of days while they were kind of resetting and doing different scenes. Um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. And, and like I said, the, the the Cuba set, I saw a lot of the action. Uh, so I saw Nomi and Paloma and you know shootouts. So that great scene where Daniel comes out and he's wearing the tux. It's after the. The, um, the Spectre party, and he kind of comes out of the Almedo building and ratchets the gun and starts shooting. I was literally, if you see Daniel Craig, I was to his right, next to <laughs> next to Carey behind the monitor, just watching that get shot. So, <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it's a very cool. It was a very cool gig, I have mm-hmm. to say. I was uh, I was blessed and lucky, and uh, and I thank them for allowing me to come along and ask lots of questions. I mean, it sounds like the dream scenario for any journalist to be uh, given that amount of access. And I think because of you writing the official book, that gives you the access that no one else will get because they're safe in the knowledge that whatever you see is going to be kept until the film comes out or whatever. Um, and they can sort of keep control of it in a, to a certain extent. Um, so I guess it's the dream scenario. Um, do you, how much autonomy do you have on what, what ends up in the book? Um, well, I mean, I, you, what tends to happen with these books is you, you read the script, you, they, they, I mean, the book is, you know, it's told kind of chronologically from, you know, it starts with Norway and then goes through to Matera and then works its way through. So, there tends to be a kind of structure, so you know what you're going to do. Um, but then, so I will write a proposal and I will show it to people and my editor will agree or disagree. And they they generally read the script as well, so they have their ideas. Um, and I kind of get carte blanche to, to, you know, I've done enough of these that people sort of trust me. Mm. Um, that I know what I'm doing and so I will go away and I will you know I'm a fan as well and so my whole thing is if if I was reading this book and I didn't know anything about this movie what would I want to know um, and so you mentioned the ice uh, earlier and I remember when I think it was Chris Lowe the art director mentioned that to me and you know your sort of journalistic kind of antenna goes up you go that's a good that's a really good nugget I want to dig into that. And so it was just trying to put as much information in as possible. Um, so I'm satisfied. If I'm satisfied, then hopefully the readers will be satisfied. Um, but then you also, 
sort of juggle that you don't want to, you know, when's the book going to come out? What, you know, what spoilers can you put in? Because, yeah, invariably it will come out after the release. That's the way it was planned. So, therefore, you need to have, you've got to have some of the spoilers in because people have seen the film. So, it's just finding the sort of balance. Um, but, you know, I, I wrote it sort of, how I normally approach these books is I write them for me. So, what I want to know, if I, if I find it interesting, then hopefully other people will find it interesting. Um, you know, I'm a Bond fan from way back, and I you know, think Daniel was an amazing Bond. And, you know, I wanted to kind of celebrate him in the other book and this film, um, excuse me, with this book. Coffee? Medium sweet. Two, medium sweet. Thanks for listening. We hope you're enjoying the James Bond A to Z podcast. Remember, if you want to support the show, we have a coffee page at ko-fi dot com forward slash james bond a to z where you can buy us a coffee for just three pounds or for three pounds a month thanks for listening back to the show is that all it does what was um uh sounds like you've have you been on daniel's other uh, daniel craig's other james bond films visiting the sets Yes, so I was actually on, I was to remember this earlier, I have been on four Bonds prior to this, so two Brosnan, so Tomorrow Never Dies and Die Another Day, and then I was on Skyfall. So I was lucky enough to go to Istanbul for Skyfall when they shot the from the opening sequence, so the whole thing in the market, I was there for a few of the days, a few of the days for that. So yeah, and I, actually, I I uh, I first interviewed Daniel on the set of Tomb Raider mm, many right. many years ago. So uh, <laughs> yes, long before he was James Bond. So yeah, so I'd experienced Bond sets before, um, but not quite the same way as I experienced this one because you know I had you know wonderful access and uh, yeah, if you wanted to interview somebody, they they did their best to uh, make it happen really. Was, Bearing in mind that a lot of the people were making the film, so you know they were very, they were very accommodating as well. How what was his like? How was he? I mean, was he more relaxed than perhaps he was on Skyfall, knowing that this sort of his journey was coming to an end? Or how would you characterize him? So I didn't actually speak to him during the making of the film because um, he was he just wanted to concentrate mm. on the film and not be distracted. So um, I was allowed to be, you know, obviously in the room when he was filming, um, but he wanted to do all the interviews afterwards. So that's what we did. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a lot of responsibility being James Bond, and this this he wanted to go out on a high, and he is. Is, he was he was so involved in the film and lived and breathed James Bond, so he just really wanted it to be the best Bond that he could possibly be. Um, you know, he was. You know, I think he thought that well, that Spectre was the last one, and they convinced him to come back. And so, if he was going to come back, he wanted it to be brilliant. 
uh, or certainly the best Bond that you can be. And yeah, he was involved in you know the script and choosing Phoebe and yeah, he was he was very involved. You know, and you know the unfortunate thing for him is that he got injured and you know for twelve weeks he couldn't really do the kind of physical stuff. Um, so he sort of did as much as he could. And, you know, I suppose he feels a responsibility for that as well. Um, but, you know, he was just, he just seemed uber focused, if that's the right expression, all the time. He was just on it. Um, and he would be over, you know, every single detail. You could see, you know, if he wanted it to be as best as it could be. Yeah, would you? But then afterwards, he was much more relaxed. <laughs> when, we, when we when we talked uh, afterwards, he was he was you know, um, yeah, he was uh, yeah. He's he's a Bond fan, and he loves those he loves those films, and you know, he's a kind of Connery man. That's you know, he's of that era, and uh, he just wants he wanted to be James Bond, and uh, yeah, and. Uh, he was he was he was very relaxed and open and you know there's there was when I interviewed him it was for two books so we talked about obviously no time to die but then I got him to talk about everything um, and he was very open and very honest and um, uh, yeah so that well, that's that is out in September so you can read what he has to say there. Well, maybe we'll get you back in September to talk about that book as well. That right. sounds sounds fascinating. Um, who else um, did you find uh, like the most useful in terms of um, interviews for the book were there sort of particular crew members or cast members that you sort of found the most um, enlightening for the book uh, yeah Barbara and Michael are always great to talk to um, Mark Hillsley um, because I've been a production designer on a movie. It's such an integral part of the, the story, uh, of, you know, the making story, making a story. Uh, him, he, I really enjoy talking to. I think Chris Corvold is sort of one of the slightly unsung heroes of the Bond movies. Um, and, you know, he's been around for years and he would, he's always wonderful to talk to. Uh, so he, one of the, in particular, was a joy. Uh, and was always willing to, you know, to spare half an hour to talk about a set that he was going to build or had built. Um, who else? I mean, I have to say, the, all the art department, I got to talk to most of the art directors as well as the production designer, and they are wonderful. I mean, a lot of the making of um, the sort of my MO for doing this book is to find out how things are made. Uh, and so the art department, because it's a you know, they build sets, you get to see them, you see the plans, you go into the art department, you see all the models. Um, I find those people incredibly fascinating. Uh, Sutherat, I thought, was, you know, costume designer, I thought she was really interesting as well. I, I'd, I'd actually interviewed her before for Sunshine, um, which I think was the first film she was costume designer on. Um, Linus, the DP, um, I thought he was, he was great. Uh, we we had a very long kind of Saturday afternoon chat um, towards the end of yeah they finished filming and uh, he 
he brought along an iPad with pretty much the whole movie on with stills. And so he sat down and talked me through the entire movie. His kind of color choices and his lens choices and why they did this shot and what was influencing this and that. Uh, I thought he was fascinating. Um, Cast-wise, I, I really enjoyed Leia Sadu. Uh, I thought she was a really fun interviewee. Uh, Anadamas Nooney, uh, sorry, uh, Lashana, I thought was great. Uh, there was just they were just so excited mm. uh, and enthusiastic. Um, uh, you know, it was just great to talk to them. And having seen them on set, you knew that they were going to kind of pop when the movie came out because the roles were just great and they were giving so much to it. Um, so they were kind of fun. They, I suppose they're the, 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 my favorite interviews. Yeah, I mean, the book is, is terrific and I think the artwork in it is, uh, is fantastic. Titan obviously do a really good job. Um, bringing everything together. Do you get to sort of pick and choose the 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 concept art and stuff that goes in the book or is that left to someone else? Um, I like to be involved in, as if possible. And with this, because it was such a sort of long, you know, long process, um, I did get involved. And so, you know, what would tend to happen, you know, sorry, there is a unit publicist and then there's somebody who's in charge of, you know, looking after the stills with Debbie. Uh, and then you had Nicola, who was the unit photographer. And then sometimes Greg Williams would come along. So there was a lot of material. And and Debbie, you know, she, she looks after the sort of archive, photo archive for Eon as well. Um, so she was very helpful for the other book. Uh, and she was helpful for this. And Nicola was an amazing unit photographer and took a, I mean, there's a lot of photos and a lot of artwork. And you just sort of say to Eon, can we have everything? And obviously they can't give you everything. So they they tend to do a, a kind of first filter, first sieve, and you'll get I don't know, a couple of thousand. And then with both books, I think we all sat in a room and went through all the artwork uh, and chose from Titan's End, we chose our sort of favorites. Uh, and obviously you pick more than is going to be in the book. Um, and then obviously there's an approval process to be had and that will kind of whittle it down even, you know, whittle it down some more and then you get a whole load. And then at that point, because I was writing, writing two books, I then give it to the, uh, you know, I allow the very experienced people at Titan to kind of choose the photos and choose the artwork. You know, and like I said, they've, the editor, she's read the script, so she knows what's going on. She came on set once. Um, so they're not operating in a vacuum. They're operating with a lot of kind of knowledge and insight. Um, and, you know, often I'll say, I think it's a great shot of this. We should definitely use that. And, I mean, I would have liked a little bit more concept art in the book if I was picky, because there was so much great stuff. Um, but you know, you can't have everything. You know, if you had everything, it would be five times as thick and they'd have no work. So, five times more expensive, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but, uh, well, 
there's a you know like I said there was there was a wealth of material, um, so it's it's more you know it's like Christmas morning when you sort of you look at the stuff and go can we have all this please? Wow, I mean that's uh, that's been really interesting. I think Mark, we won't keep you for much longer. Brendan, do you have any more questions? Uh, no, I don't think so. It's it's been fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We'd love to hear more about uh, your Daniel Craig book, um, which I'm sure you'll be able to tell us in due course. But what what more can you tell us about that, uh, just to whet our appetite? So, essentially, I the reason I wanted to do it is because I realised that there hadn't really been making of books for the Daniel Craig film. There had been the really nice photography books, but there wasn't a making of book. And I just thought I really want to know how these films are put together. Um, and so that was my pitch to do a kind of deep dive. So I have spoken to all the directors, all the screenwriters, a bunch of cast, um, and hopefully there'll be stuff that you haven't read about these movies before. Because you know the thing about the Bond films is they're covered. Everybody, you know, everybody else is Bond film, so there's so much press coverage. And so I was trying to you know, dig into areas that haven't been covered before. So I, you know, I'm hopeful that uh, the fans will find things in the book. Like I said, Daniel was very open. Um, and, you know, I thought Martin Campbell, I mean, Martin Campbell was great. I talked to Levis Wade, Mark Forster, Sam Mendes. Um, yeah, I'm, I think, I think it will be a good, a good book. Like I said, that was the one I pitched initially. Um, you know, the, the, so the interesting thing with that for the, you know, in relation to this book is I knew I had the second book. So there's a, a making of No Time to Die in the second book. Right. Um, and so, so yeah, the, the trick was to cover some of the same ground, mm. but not repeat myself. Um, so there's, trying to think there's more about the kind of script development of no time to die in the other book than there was in this book oh interesting so that's, a, that's an example where i i said okay let's save that for the the second one so this has less of the script i mean it's kind of mentioned in the introduction the whole process but it, there's more in in the second book Mm. You know, there's more from Phoebe, there's more from Carrie. Um, you find out, you know, Daniel's thoughts for why he wanted the film to be the way it was. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think hopefully, it's been a long time since I read it. I mean, I finished that book in, I think it was March or February, no, February 2020. So that's been sort of parked for quite a while God. <laughs> because of COVID. Pre-COVID, anything um, pre-COVID just feels like decades ago. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, it's so bizarre, but I have to kind of write down on a piece of paper, okay, this year was when I was on the set, this year when I wrote the book, this year the book film was going to come out, and it came out <laughs> 18 months later. Um, yeah, it's very, it's very strange. Um, but also talking about something so long. I mean, I've written, written, I think three books 
since, or maybe too much time. So it's, yeah, I mean, I, I, because you get so consumed with these projects, you tend to work on them and then you sort of have to, it's a bit like Johnny Mnemonic, you sort of take that bit of your brain out and put it somewhere else and <laughs> move on to something else. So, uh, you know, I, I wrote, yeah, the inside number nine, the insider's guardian, inside number nine after these two books. And that took up, you know, probably six months of my life. So, yeah, talking about Bond is slightly um, weird because it feels so long ago. I said, you've probably read the book much more recently than I have. Now you know how the actors feel when they're wheeled out 18 months after making the movie and saying, what happened when you were making this? Um, or even you know, nowadays, it's like 50th anniversary piece, yeah. 25 <laughs> year oral history, and you expect people to remember. So tell me what you did on that particular day when you did that shot. <laughs> um, it, it's hard. Um, so hopefully, I've been of some use, and I haven't. Uh, apart from that, I haven't made too much of a fool of myself. But I'm glad <laughs> you enjoyed the book. No, we really did. How do people find you online, Mark? If they want to get hold of you or, or follow what you're up to. Uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, it's Mark underscore Salisbury. Very easy. And uh, yeah, well, thank you very much for joining us. If you want to uh, email the show, you can get us on podcast at jamesbondatoz.co.uk. And Brendan, where can people find us on social media? At jamesbondatoz on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, so yeah, as always, James Bond Z podcast will return soon. Uh, Mark Salisbury, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Ciao. James Bond A to Z podcast features Tom Butler, Brendan Duffy and Tom Wheatley. The podcast was produced by Tom Wheatley with music by Tom Ingemels and artwork supplied by Helen Dolly. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.